Hello, hey, and hi. Thanks, friends, Romans, and countrymen, for lending me your ears for the next dozens of minutes or so. This is Meanwhile on the Farm, where we get back to the subject at hand. Speaking of subjects, we're nearing the end of our Back to Basics month in honor of Back to School, where I take a subject, like a particular event or system, and break it down at the intersection of race. First episode we did that on was about the history of policing in America. We found out some very surprising things there. After that, we talked about Black Wall Street and how all of that went down. We skipped a couple of weeks, actually a little bit more than a couple of weeks, because y'all life was happening and I just had to embrace it. Uh, so I'm giving you a double header. First part of that was the rise of the Black Codes, also known as Jim Crow laws, which you might have just listened to. And these laws were sets of rules that basically had black people under mental, economic and social oppression. The second part of that is what you're about to listen to right now. The supposed fall of the black codes. What's different about these episodes is I typically take a current topic, something that's trending and has caught my attention and I unpack it. That story as well would be at the intersection of race. At the end of the episodes, no matter what direction I slice them, I give you things that you can do to literally change the world, sometimes relating to what we talked about, sometimes a little bit different. But either way, there are things that you can do, because sometimes when we start digging into all of this, it gets a little heavy. And one of the things that annoys me the most is helplessness and hopelessness. And I wouldn't want to leave you out there like that. So um, we ended on a high note talking about humans that are killing the game. Last episode, I talked about how I wanted to give away a few fun things in honor of it being the 10th episode. So head on over to the Instagram, meanwhile.on.the.farm to learn how you can win. And if you don't win, never fear, you get to practice the art of letting go. <laughs> and you can also DM me for ways to purchase your own pins or pins as gift and how you can do that with a discount code. So back to today's episode, we have the supposed fall of the black codes. Class is now in session. Hello and welcome back to Meanwhile on the Farm, where we get back to the subject at hand. I'm your host, Corey, and I'm grateful to be alive today. Huh. I'm back home now and it's good to be home. I love traveling and seeing the world and getting to experience new things, but there's something about home. And I'm not talking about a place, but more like a feeling. Y'all know what I mean, right? Home is special. Um, I've been going nonstop all summer, and uh, last week I took the chance to unplug for a little bit in Palm Springs, and now I'm back ready to get back and hit the ground running. I took a few weeks off to tend to some life stuff, but I'm really, really excited to uh, jump back in. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. I just want to jump back in. And before I do, I want to talk about uh, a couple of stories that you may or may not have heard about. The first one was just a few days ago. Well, actually, maybe a couple of weeks ago uh, in Virginia, there was a police chase involving a naked man and a triple homicide. Now, he killed three people and ran away on foot naked and police were in pursuit. Now, this naked guy ran towards the police officers and actually attacked the police officers. He attempted to choke a civilian as well. Now, mind you, he had just killed three people. There was a specific police officer who used pepper spray and uh, kind of, but it didn't work. That officer also had a billy club, which he tapped the naked guy with, like literally tapped because I saw the video and that's what it was, like a tap. And a taser, which was never used. They eventually got him from the use of a dog. Now, the man is still alive. Okay. Now, here's another story about another naked man. 
in Georgia. This was in 2015. The police received a call from someone in an apartment complex that there was a naked man running around the complex exhibiting suspicious behavior, behavior like crawling around on the ground, knocking on doors and running, stuff like that. According to the police officer, he was acting like he was drugged. So the police shows up and the guy runs towards the police, hadn't made contact yet. The police, who said that he felt like his life was in danger, pulled a gun and shot and killed this man. The naked man had no weapons. Still, the police officer had pepper spray and a taser. Now, first naked man was white. Triple homicide, that guy. The one who actually attacked a police officer, the one who actually attacked a civilian. He's still alive. The second naked man was black, the unarmed one. The one who only ran toward the police officer had made physical contact. A police officer who had pepper spray and mace and decided, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and skip to the gun. Make that happen. Now, there was an investigation in the second case and the officer was put on administrative leave. So basically, you can still have a job. And I just want to say that when cops are fired for stuff like this, if they ever are, it's not an employment issue. It is an issue of civil equality. They should be tried as murderers, not as cops. Loss of employment and demotions are slaps on the wrist. That's just my opinion. Why am I bringing the story up? Because a lot of people still think that all humans are on an even playing field when that just ain't true. Now, I said that naked man, one, was unarmed. He actually was armed. He was armed with his white skin. So that's just a little bonus for you today that may apply a little bit later on. Okay, so the supposed fall of the black codes. We left off talking about the effects of the black codes and how they were enforced, by whom they were enforced at all. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't want to do this episode. And the reason why is because while a lot of the laws and etiquette rules and methods of segregation fizzled out, including blacks, all of them being given right to vote. Can we think about that for a moment? Blacks have only been given the right to vote for 54 years, y'all. 54 years. Now, white men have always been able to vote. Okay. Then white women. Now, I like to point out that there are groups of black women who wouldn't consider themselves as a part of the feminist movement because they were all left behind back in the day. When women finally got the chance to vote, it was white women. And did you know that a black woman started the Me Too movement? Yep. While a lot of the laws and etiquette rules and methods of segregation were made illegal, the effects are still there. Hey, we removed the termites from your walls. Have a good day. Um, but what about my walls? They don't matter. They'll fix themselves. I could sit here and run a list of people and heroes and heroines who are very instrumental in making these changes happen. I could talk about the civil rights movement and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Ida B. Wells and Rosa Parks, who Mattel is making a Barbie after, but the narrative says that she, quote, lived a normal life. But Rosa's life before that movement was anything but. This is why representation isn't always the goal. I could go on and list them and how they ended all the craziness against the black community, supposedly. But here's the thing. They were met with opposition, strong opposition. Some were killed. Some were arrested. It's not like everything just magically changed. Whites didn't want the end of the black codes to happen. This is why there were court cases. Plessy, the Louisiana Railroad situation. He got on a white car knowing that he would be arrested because he wanted to challenge a law. 
Now, somebody had to decide that it was wrong. Now, for the record, these laws were always wrong, which meant that somebody had already decided that it was right. And what I'm talking about is the black codes. The thing that ended the laws and the rules was called the Civil Rights Act. I'll mention that. The 1968 act expanded on previous acts and prohibited discrimination concerning the sale, rental, and financing of houses based on race, religion, national origin, and since 1974, gender. Now, it was helped to get there by Lyndon B. Johnson. Remember that president? Now, there are a great number of people who feel like we just need more love and we just need the whole hands. That's what we need. Now, I kind of agree and I kind of don't. What we need is more action, more change. And that's not really going to come in the form of a hug. Always. The idea behind unearthing all of this isn't to change your mind. Now, I do hope that I do. I hope that I can convince you that there is actually a problem and then hopefully move you to act towards correcting it. But I can't. You have to change your mind on your own. And until you do, just love isn't the answer. So I'm going to put that out there. Amongst those same people may be other people who are saying that talking about this, this being racism, perpetuates it. And that the real reason why there's a divide between the races is because we're still talking about it. We're talking about the divide, which increases the divide. Let me explain something to you. Talking about cancer doesn't increase it. It identifies it. It gives us more information so we know what to do with it. We cannot pretend that nothing is wrong. If you're still not convinced of that, I want you to answer this question. And for those listeners who know people who feel like that, ask them this question. Would you be okay with being treated like a black citizen? That's if they're white. If they're black, they're going to have to catch it on their own. Now, in the last episode, I mentioned the fact that we're still dealing with all this stuff today, and we are. And one of the ways we are is kind of so roundabout that it doesn't seem like a black codes kind of thing. But let me offer you this. Nixon was in office from 1969 to 1974. So he didn't finish his two full terms because, well, there was that little situation he found himself involved in. Wasn't it him that said, I am not a crook? It was. The lie detector test determined that was a lie. <laughs> there was no lie detector test. I just missed Maury Povich. It would be the same as if he said, I am not a racist. Because he was. Him and his buddy Reagan, may he rest in the presence of many black leaders, weren't very nice men when it came to the racist. But I'm talking about Nixon specifically, who came after Lyndon B. Johnson, who was also a racist. Wait, but didn't he set into motion the Civil Rights Act? Oh, you mean the nigger bill, as he called it. Yeah, that same guy, 1957. Now, some people would say, hey, he was just trying to play the game to get people to think he was a racist so he could infiltrate. It's like in the movies when they pretend to be zombies so other zombies don't know and then they can get in and go and take over. La boy, sit down. For two decades, Lyndon B. Johnson tried to stonewall the civil rights movement. Last thing I'll say about Lyndon, when he was asked about his decision to appoint Thurgood Marshall to the Supreme Court versus a less famous black judge, he said, when I appoint a nigger to the bench, I want everybody to know he's a nigger. President. I said, President. Well, I guess this may not be a shocker for us because our current sitting president has said some pretty rough things. But let's get back to good old Nixon. Now, Nixon is famous for two things, Watergate and the war on drugs. Now, the war on drugs was inappropriately named. It should have been called the war on war protesters and black people. Let's focus on 
black people. What Nixon wanted to do was associate black people with drugs. Now, we talked in a previous episode about how Nixon, even though he was advised that marijuana wasn't harmful, said that marijuana was a part of the war on drugs. Now, black people were four times more likely to be arrested for possession, not usage, even though whites smoked it at about the same rate. There are a few other facts and figures in episode four of Meanwhile on the Farm, The Need to Kill Weed. I talk a little bit about Nixon and the war on drugs, etc. But Nixon's war on drugs was a target for blacks, and it worked. Reagan declared a war on drugs, and another president was George H.W. Bush, who, a little over 30 years ago, addressed the nation from behind his desk and held up a baggie of actual crack and said that it came from the park across the street from the White House. The same park where tourists are. The same park where Secret Service agents are. Did I mention that this park, Lafayette Park, was directly across from the White House? Now, prior to him supposedly finding that crack, there had never been an arrest made for the drug. But it just so happened that days before his speech, a bag manifests. It's not certain how the crack got there, but someone purchased it for the sake of this speech. Think that's a conspiracy? You explain it another way. What does this have to do with the black codes? Nothing. I'm not talking about the black codes. It's what the black codes did to the community that I'm talking about. Let's keep digging here. Now, Despite the decline on crack in 1989, this is just 24 years after blacks had gotten right to vote, H.W. Bush added speed to the war on drugs to carry on Nixon's original plan. Now, Bush took it to the next level, though, not only with that bag of crack, but by spending $45 billion, with a B, dollars, America's dollars, mostly on law enforcement. That was more than the previous four administrations combined. Now, here's the thing about the war on drugs. It wasn't really an issue. Drug use had actually gone down, but this idea was created in order to attack anti-war people and blacks. So what was done is social safety nets in these communities were defunded so that this $45 billion could fund the war on drugs. Social safety nets like schools, school programs, jobs, all those things are lost. Now, for anyone possessing any kind of drug, this includes the now legal marijuana, they were sentenced to mandatory life sentences because of these misguided drug laws set into motion by the administration. Louisiana actually has a mandatory life sentence for possession still. That sucks. And I'm from the state, so I get to say that. The feds then made a distinction between powder crack and crack rock, even though they were the same thing. And even though whites were using it more than blacks, same with marijuana, way more blacks ended up in jail. Possession. So then crack becomes a, quote, black problem. So what happens to all the people that get arrested? They go to prison for life, for possession. Like I said, in Louisiana, where I'm from, they're still handing out life sentences for possession of marijuana still. So how did the drugs get into the communities? I had a conversation with a gentleman a few years back, and he told me exactly how most of that worked. And it shocked me slash didn't shock me to learn the truth about that. But I'll make that a completely different episode. So what does all this have to do with black codes, AKA the Jim Crow laws? Again, as I mentioned before, it's not about the laws themselves as much as it is about the effects of those laws. Let's make it plain. The war on drugs was declared not long after the black codes were made illegal, but whites weren't done with the oppression. So it had to become legal to oppress but it had to be by way of something that whites could enforce. 
the war on drugs spent money on law enforcement. Where do you think the law enforcement went? Where do you think they were placed? If you said black and Latinx communities, you're right. So even though whites and whites with money were committing the same crimes, blacks were being incarcerated. So what happens to the communities? We'll just go ahead and call them black communities when mass incarceration happens. First off, the cost. This was 2015. It costs on the federal level $31,977.66 per year per person to keep that person incarcerated, including a person in jail or prison for possession of marijuana, the marijuana that's legal, the marijuana that was made illegal as an attack on Mexicans and later blacks. On the residential level, it's a little less. It costs about $26,082.90 per day. So I did some math. I took these costs from 2015, which are more because hello, inflation, and multiplied it by the number of people that are incarcerated. I used a lower residential number and I got $59.9 billion per year to keep people locked up. 85% of those are for possession only, most of which are black. Now, right off the bat, if you're a felon, you cannot vote. Sounds familiar. You cannot travel abroad. Sounds familiar. You cannot bear arms or own guns. Sounds kind of familiar. You cannot serve on a jury. Sounds familiar. You cannot be employed in certain fields. Sounds familiar. You lose the right to public social benefits and housing. Sound familiar? You lose parental benefits. Sounds familiar. Looking closer at these rights, you can vote, but only once you get out of jail. In some states, they do keep their right to vote. And in some states, the inmate isn't allowed to vote unless he applies for a governor's pardon or grow through a waiting period or pay outstanding fines. That's the same as paying to vote, which is what was the case back in the day. Now, for those people saying, well, they shouldn't have done anything. I'd like to you to look at your debt portfolio right now. If you have student loans or a mortgage or a car or credit card bills or whatever debt, if somebody said, hey, you can't vote until you pay that debt off. You think, well, that's not fair. It's the same thing. Continuing on with travel, their passport could be revoked, but that's for a drug related felony. Owning a gun, depending on the state you live in, you might have to apply for a felony expungement, petition for restoration of firearm rights, receive a governor's pardon or receive a federal pardon. Now, employment. At the federal level, an employer can't not hire a person because they're a convicted felon unless it directly relates to the job. On the state level, however, they can. They are allowed to discriminate. I'll repeat that. They are allowed to discriminate. Public social benefits and housing. When you're a felon, when and if you're released, you can apply for federal or state grants, live in public housing, or receive federal cash assistance. SSI or food stamps, among other benefits. Depending on the crime, convicted felons don't necessarily lose all parental rights unless the person was convicted of a more serious offense, like murder. However, in situations where the convicted felon was the only parent involved in the child's life and the child was put into foster care for an excessive amount of time, the convicted felon may lose parental rights. And while convicted felons may not legally lose parental rights at the time of a conviction, it may affect parental rights down the line, especially in the case of custody battles or divorces. Now, a felony conviction is almost always a red flag for any judge to award custody to the other parent. 
getting a lease, applying for a loan, filing official paperwork, all affected when you're a convicted felon. Now I can hear people in the back saying, I said it once, I said it twice, and I'll say it again. Well, they shouldn't have committed the crimes. That's where it starts. I think you're missing the point. Now, I don't have the answer, but somehow it feels like it starts with reinstating social programs in black communities. You think that everyone in jail slash prison thought at some point, you know what I'd like to end up? Jail slash prison. I'd like to let my family down and put everyone, including myself, through the emotional trauma of being locked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to have my kids end up in foster care. Ooh, and then I'd like to lose the right to vote and to bear arms and to receive public assistance and to travel and serve on a jury and to be employed, a.k.a. stripped of my rights, a.k.a. be affected in the same way as blacks were with the black codes. That's a stretch, Corey. No, it's not. The black codes were designed to keep blacks from advancing to being on the same level as whites. The war on drugs was designed for the same purpose. And you know what? It's working. It is working. Is is a present tense, as in currently. The system isn't broken. It's working exactly the way that it was designed to. What I think, and I have a couple of friends who have said this too, so I'm not alone. The system needs to be burned to the ground and rebuilt. It needs to be restructured. Fun fact, you can't own a dispensary after you're released from prison, even though you were in prison for being an independent dispensary. <laughs> Another fun fact, there was a particular source that said that the amount of blacks in jail and prison is lower and that blacks are, and I quote, free to live in the community, to raise families, to hold jobs, to be healthy and happy. The same article says that reformers deserve recognition and inspiration. I found both of those things very cute in an I don't think that it's very cute kind of way. If you're wondering where that source is, it's called the Washington Post. So what's happened to drug use since the war on drugs? Pretty much nothing. It's about the same. As a matter of fact, it's declined. Mostly because now that main drug, marijuana, is legal. That war on drugs didn't work. What it did was cause problems. Crime rates have declined over the last 25 years, yet we're still pumping more and more law enforcement into areas. Black areas. For what? See the black codes. Corey, only about a half million people are incarcerated for drug offenses. So your point is null and void. Uh, but it's not. The system, no matter the reason why you're behind bars, is set up to keep people there and to reduce the quality of life and limit the span of life for those lucky enough to be released. And the unfortunate thing is that these people are people of color. And another thing is that there are a lot of people incarcerated right now who are free to go if they could pay the $10,000 fine, $30,000 fine, $100,000 fine. In other words, they're able to buy their freedom, but they can't and their families continue to suffer. And I know when we think jail and prison, we think of men, unless we watch Orange is the New Black. Women are incarcerated as well. What happens to their kids? In early 2018, there were about 219,000 women behind bars. Of those, 90% of there were because they murdered someone from whom they were receiving physical abuse. To me, that sounds like a social problem, mental health. The Black Codes. They were set out to put fear and terror in the hearts of Black lives and to suppress black lives. 
in the same way that those felony convictions happen without trial. Huh? Yep. A lot of serious convictions don't really get heard in court because the proceedings stop when the person who's accused agrees to make a guilty plea, usually in return for a reduced sentence. Plea bargains make up about 94% of state felony convictions and 97% of federal ones, according to a report by The Atlantic. Estimates for misdemeanor convictions are even higher, which prompts the widespread concern that too often the accused are being coerced into pleading guilty are not told their full options. And they take the plea deal because they're afraid. Beyond that, blacks are more likely to get arrested than whites. Black communities are targets for law enforcement. I open this episode with one example. White men shoot up buildings and are deemed mentally unstable and are taken alive and even taken to get something to eat before they're booked. Black men sell loose cigarettes and are choked to death on the pavement and their murderers are freed. White men rape, abuse women and get $400 fines or six months because, well, they're good boys who'll never do it again and it just might ruin their future. Black men are accused of rape, it is not proven, and they're behind bars for years. And you know what happens after that. White cops have admitted to just making up stories to get blacks in jail and in prison. Where are they? They still have jobs, administrative leaves, yet these black men and women have to figure out how to recollect their lives. Sounds like the results of the black codes to me. Now, any of you familiar with what restitution means? Now, the term restitution in the criminal justice system means payment by an offender to the victim for the harm caused by the wrong acts. Courts have the authority to order convicted offenders to pay restitution to victims as a part of their sentence. In approximately one third of states, courts are required to order restitution to victims in cases involving a certain type of crime, typically violent felony charges, but sometimes other serious offenses as well. It can cover out-of-pocket losses directly related to the crime, including medical expenses, therapy costs, prescription charges, counseling costs, lost wages, expenses related to participating in the criminal justice process, such as travel costs, child care expenses, etc., lost or damaged property, insurance deductibles, crime scene cleanup, or any other expenses that resulted directly from the crime. Question. Is murder a crime? What about arson? Theft, rape. In the instance of Black Wall Street and the race massacre of 1921, there should have been a lot of white people incarcerated and paying all sorts of restitution. But that didn't happen. Ugh, Corey, let the past go. I can't. We can't. And we shouldn't. I keep saying this over and over and over and over again, and I'll keep saying it. We are where we are because we were where we were. Blacks as a whole. We are where we are because we were where we were. No, I'm not saying that the progress that's been made doesn't matter. It does. But throwing your hands up and saying, well, that's it. That's all we got. We're good to go. It's like putting a pile of shit on someone's fresh 12 grain bread and saying, I just made this for you. Eat up. Enjoy. Nope. Doesn't work like that. Neither side of the fence can get lazy. And each side has things that they need to do in order to rectify the situation. The bottom line is the black codes may not be the black codes, but because they were what they were and because white supremacy and racism were so vigilant, opportunities for black communities to rebuild were slim to none. 
And even when we tried to rebuild them, we, they were torn down and attacked. So these opportunities, which were slim to none, were a fight and a struggle. And that affected the shape and choices of the black community. Mass incarceration. It's wasting a lot of money, literally billions of dollars and lives. And while people are sitting around here talking about who's going to pay for this free health care and education, realize that you already have been. And it just needs to be reallocated to a more productive spot. So what can you do? You can actually help with prison reform. And just how can you do that? Glad you asked. Number one, make your voice heard. You know what I'm about to say, right? Yep. Call up your representative. Ask Congress to support the Second Look Act. U.S. Senator Cory Booker and U.S. House Representative Karen Bass have introduced uh, a bicameral legislation to create a sentence review procedure for people serving sentences longer than 10 years in federal prison. Go to the website and enter your information and they'll let you know how to get in touch with your rep. Sentencingproject.org. As always, these will be on the Meanwhile on the Farm Instagram. Number two, get involved locally. On that same site, sentencingproject.org, you can find your state and see what your state is doing to become a part of that. Now, I checked. All 50 of them are on there, including D.C., which isn't a state, but there you have it. Some states have more organizations than others, but each state has at least one. Number three, donate. A one-time donation to help these efforts. I mean, heck, if you ball in a monthly donation, sentencingproject.org. Number four, if you are part of a church, get inside the prison walls. Well, I can't just walk in there and start doing a damn thing. Wait, do preachers say damn? To be discussed. Prisonervisitation.org. It has information on how to volunteer at prisons. And this is a, um, a personal request for me. Volunteer as humans, not as Christian humans. And you know what I mean. Like once your meeting slash church has established contact with people in the prison, you can begin to ask some specific questions about what kind of education, support, volunteer slash prison run programs they need help organizing inside. As a separate thing, you can work with your contact to start a worship group if the people inside request one. But until that point, just be human to them because that's what this is all about. Number five, for you people in California, there's something called a human rights pen pal. Humanrightspenpals.org. Pen pals? As in writing letters? Is that safe? Yes, it is. Human Rights Pen Pals is a grassroots racial justice community organization in solidarity with people in California's solitary confinement cells. Through letter writing and community organization, they promote principled, mutually educational relationships between people in solitary confinement and human rights supporters outside the prison walls. Now, currently, they aren't taking any applications for pen pals because they're trying to restructure the program, but email them at humanrightspenpals at gmail.com to know how you can help to develop that particular program. Number six. Number six? Yes, number six. If you are a higher education educator, get involved with a group called Inside Out. The Inside Out Prison Exchange Program facilitates dialogue and education across profound social differences. Inside Out courses bring traditional college students and incarcerated students together in jails and prisons for semester-long learning. Now, these courses ignite enthusiasm for learning, 
They help students find their voice and they challenge students to consider what good citizenship requires. Now, since the beginning of 1997, Inside Out has grown into an international network of more than 900 trained instructors from across the U.S. and several countries. Correctional and higher educational institutions have partnered to create opportunities for more than 38,000 inside and outside students to move beyond the walls that separate them. Inside Out generates social change through transformative education. So that's amazing. And number seven. This is an important one. Once people get out of prison, we've discussed how they have a hard time. Yeah. Meet with someone or someones for a weekly or monthly meal. Provide transportation to school or work. Help with school applications or enrollment. Assist with a job search. Rent them a room, which could be exchanged for money or housework or whatever. Obviously, do your due diligence, but be ready and able. That should keep us busy, yeah? And now it's time for some right stuff. Okay, so I love me some Tracy Ellis Ross, and uh, I am not shy about that. As a matter of fact, one of my first uh, right stuff sections featured her. Well, this chick is back at it again. This time, she out here trying to empower your curl patterns. Now, before we start, dudes, you have a curl pattern as well. So there's that. Um, so what she's done this time is she's created a hair care line called Pattern Beauty or Pattern for short. The pattern promise is to nourish your hair with affordable and effective products with safe ingredients. It's also to help keep your hair healthy and hydrated, juicy and joyful. That's on the website. I can't take credit for making that up, although I wish I did. The great thing about the brand is that it's designed to have you celebrate your curl pattern no matter what the curl pattern is. Uh, on the website, it says, may we know our hair is strong. May we know our curls are flexible. May we know our texture is resilient. May we know our patterns are magic. On the website, there is a curl guide that suggests what products are recommended for your curl pattern. So that's pretty cool. Now, when you purchase pattern products, you are actually helping to support organizations that empower women and people of color. So Tracy Ellis Ross I've got a little crush on you. And by little crush, I mean big crush. And that was our fourth, fourth, I think. We'll say fourth. That was our fourth lesson in our back to basics section, the supposed fall of the black codes. Ugh, we got work to do y'all, a lot of work. <laughs> but this has been Meanwhile on the Farm and I have enjoyed taking you on this not so little journey. Hey, if you have any questions or concerns, hit me up at Corey at meanwhileonthefarm.com. Or you can hit me up on the Instagram page, meanwhile.on.the.farm. Remember to go there, see your action steps, and find out how you can win a set of pins. Remember, I'm giving away three sets. If you aren't subscribed to Meanwhile on the Farm, go ahead and do that for me so that you can know when the new episodes drop. Share this episode with someone whose name starts with the letter C or W. Please help me get the word out about these issues. Again, I'm Corey. This has been Meanwhile on the Farm, and I think it's pretty cool that you spent some time with me. Listen, don't let too much of yesterday take up today. You got stuff to do, good stuff to do. And I know that you got something amazing to offer to this world. But remember, if you're silent, it speaks volumes. Peace. <laughs>